beginning of this message is not going to sound like a Christmas message for the first few minutes, but if you hang in there with me, you'll see where we're going with this. But I wanted to start by talking about one of the most iconic comic book characters of all time. We know him as Batman, the Dark Knight, the Caped Crusader. A lot of us are familiar with his story in one way or another. Millionaire Bruce Wayne by, at night sneaks around and fights crime as none other than Batman. And uh, let's do a little quick trivia. In what city does he fight crime? Wow. I think if I'd asked where Jesus was born, I wouldn't have gotten that. Bethlehem. All right. His butler who protects his secret identity and helps and guides him, his name is? Wow, I'm impressed. His trusted friend within the police department who helps him out, his name is? Ah, that was a little bit tougher, Lieutenant or Police Commissioner Gordon. All right, one of the intriguing things about Batman is he doesn't have the ability to fly or shoot webs or <laughs> do any all the other crazy things that other heroes are. He's just an ordinary guy who has the willpower, the skill, and the, the, just the hard work ethic and his combat skills to work with, but he also has a lot of money. Therefore, he has all the gadgets and gizmos and everything else that he needs to fight crime. For instance, in the streets, he rides around in the? All right. Or on the? Bat cycle. Robin knows his, uh, his Batman there. <laughs> all right. When he's jetting through the water, he's riding in his? Bat boat. There you go. When he's flying through the air, he's in his? Bat plane. The bat or the bat wing or? I think, did you say it, Joe? The Batcopter. Good job. Excellent. We got some experts out here. All right. Um, so we've seen all these things that he uses. And he also is known for facing a colorful cast of criminals. His arch nemesis and fan favorite villain is none other than the... Boom, you are on it tonight. There you go, the Joker. Many of us remember years ago in the 60s that uh, just kind of hokey TV show that I grew up watching uh, where Batman was going around and Cesar Romero played the Joker. By the way, fun fact, he never took his mustache off for that role. So if you look carefully at his white makeup, you'll see the mustache underneath it. But most days uh, today, the Joker is kind of portrayed as this kind of bizarre psychopath that twists minds and he loves the mess with Batman's mind in particular. He's a little bit violent and sadistic even at times. And in my opinion, the best depiction of the Joker is from, was by the late Heath Ledger, if you've seen The Dark Knight from 2008, directed by Christopher Nolan. In that movie, he comes across as an insane, heartless psychopath who rises to power by manipulating the mob, preying on the corrupt police department, and spreading panic by threatening to keep killing people until Batman takes off his mask, yeah, or cow. So, in that movie then, it starts out, Lieutenant Gordon and District Attorney Harvey Dent start working together to try and coordinate their efforts to take down the mob. All right, got a track with me here if you haven't seen that movie. They begin working together, even though Gordon enters the deal skeptical of Dent because he's a politician, and Dent is skeptical of Gordon because he's over a corrupt police force. Well, they do coordinate their efforts, and 
So the mob kind of unites when Batman's trying to help them. And they hire the Joker. Through a complicated planned series of events, Dent and Batman and Gordon wind up capturing the Joker and putting him in jail. But what they didn't realize was that the joke was on them. The Joker planned to be put in the jail all along as a distraction. So the corrupt policemen that had been bribed, ransomed, or held captive, if you will, by some threats, kidnapped Harvey Dent and the love of his life, Rachel Dawes, who Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, was also in love with. There is a radio where Harvey and Rachel can talk to one another as they're strapped to a bunch of explosives. And earlier in the movie, Harvey had proposed to Rachel. And so they're talking to one another, and Rachel decides to tell him in that moment when they don't know if they're going to make it, that she accepts his proposal. She will marry him. Well, in all the chaos, Batman manages to save Harvey Dent, but not without half of his face being scarred by the gasoline and explosives. But Rachel Dawes, the police didn't get to her at the time, and she died. Meanwhile, all during that fiasco, the Joker, according to his scheme, breaks out of jail and threatens to blow up a hospital. And he pays a visit in all the chaos to the hospital where Harvey Dent happens to be. And he had it planned where Harvey Dent wouldn't get out until he had a chance to go and pay Mr. Dent a visit. And so he shows up in the hospital room with Dent strapped down to the bed so he couldn't do anything initially. And he begins this conversation. Hi. You know, Harvey, I don't want there to be any hard feelings between us. When you and, uh, and Dent hollers out, Rachel, Rachel, were abducted, I, I was sitting in Gordon's cage. I didn't set off those charges. And then Dent says, your men, your plan. And then the Joker asks, do I look like a guy with a plan? I'll tell you what I am. I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. I just do things. The mob has plans. The cops have plans. Gordon's got plans you see they're schemers schemers trying to control their little worlds i tried to show the schemers how pathetic their plans are how pathetic it is when they try to control things so when i say that you and your girlfriend was nothing personal you know i'm telling the truth it's the schemers who put you where you are you were a schemer. You had plans. And uh, look where that got you. See how warped he is? Before their conversation finished, the Joker successfully used his twisted logic to manipulate and exploit Harvey Dent's grief and bitterness. And Dent leaves that hospital bed as the villain two-faced because half of him is scarred the one who flips the coin to determine a person's fate and he goes on a murderous rampage seeking revenge on the corrupt cops and mob members that took his beloved Rachel's life 
Now, here's the thing. The joker wasn't entirely wrong. We all, to a degree, are planners. We all are schemers trying to control often our little worlds. But as happened here, the plans don't always go as we hoped. We all have our own ideas of how we would like things to go, and we have our own goals and strategies for how to achieve those goals. And when those plans get interrupted or altered, it is easy to get discouraged, disillusioned, or even depressed. To put it another way, when circumstances prevent us from carrying out our plans, we can let them make us bitter or better. For instance, we can have plans to ask that boy or that girl out and our friend beat us to the punch. We can have plans to get married to that special someone and then it just falls through for one reason or another. We can set out to make the cheerleading squad or the ball team but not make the cut or not get the start. We can work really hard to get that promotion or raise only to be passed over time and time again. We can aspire to make the grades to get into a certain college, but then not get it. We can work hard to get a degree, but then the job offers don't come as quickly as we had hoped. We can get married and have high hopes for that relationship, but then a spouse gets diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, as one of my friends at Gordon-Conwell did, and their lives and marriage be forever altered. How are we to respond when God changes our plans or if he allows our plans to be changed? When we are disappointed and disillusioned, Satan, like the joker, will use twisted logic, he'll even use scripture, to exploit our heartache and pain in the hopes of driving us deeper and deeper into bitterness which not only ruins us, but it also hurts those around us. God, on the other hand, can use these changes not only to make us better, but also to make a greater contribution toward his even more glorious overall plan for all of humanity, for all eternity. We see this in the example of Joseph, In the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Matthew writes, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Here you had a young couple. They were pledged to be married to one another. They each had plans, expectations, dreams, and hopes for that relationship and for one another. By now, Joseph would have been working on a place for them to call home, preparing it for them, where they could grow together in their love and raise their children. But then something changed those plans, Mary 
got pregnant. Imagine what it was like for Joseph at first. I think he was probably wrestling with some feelings of betrayal, don't you? Because I really don't think at first he bought into the, hey, God is the father story at first, right? Would we have bought into that? Here's the thing about Joseph, though. He didn't get bitter. He didn't allow his bitterness to overtake him. Even though her pregnancy would not only have brought her a lot of shame, it would have been a shameful thing for him if he continued the relationship because everybody would have thought that he was the father of the child and that they had relations out of wedlock. What was he to do? Instead of becoming bitter and taking his frustrations out on Mary, we read that he sought to divorce her quietly because he was a righteous man. And then we pick up on our story in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. God had a change of plans in store for Joseph. They were not easy changes. They were extremely difficult. But in order for him to embrace this divine plan, he had to demonstrate great humility and surrender before God. He had to make God's agenda his new agenda. On the plus side, he and Mary had been given the honor and responsibility of birthing and raising the God-child, the Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world. Can you imagine the blessing and the honor that must be in that? But don't miss the fact of the stress that's involved with that. How do you handle raising other children with God in the flesh? Something for us to ponder and think about. Jesus never gets in trouble. I mean, I wonder what some of the discussions were. Of course, he always cleans his room. I mean, I mean you know, who knows? That would have been tough being a sibling. But we know some of the challenges they would face pretty soon would be the, the shame that went along with the appearance of the way everything looked. We knew that also that the heavy sense of responsibility that went along with it, but also wouldn't be long within a year and a half, two years, Herod would be wanting to chase them down if he knew where they were because he was killing off all the two-year-old and under boys in Bethlehem. And they got a warning to escape to Egypt. 
There would be other challenges that raising Jesus would present along the way, especially for Mary. But you know what? The same is true for us, maybe not to that degree, but to some degree, when God drastically allows our plans to be altered, especially when we've had our hopes up. But when our plans get altered, no matter how awful they seem, no matter how painful they are, no matter how confusing they may be at times, we can trust him to not only lead and guide us through the hardships and challenges, but if you open up your heart to him, you will recognize and see his eternal blessing in it all. Sure, it will call for great service and sacrifice, as it did for Joseph and for Mary. But our service and sacrifice will never compare to the service and sacrifice that he made for us in order to see that his Father's awesome, glorious plan was followed through perfectly. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, according to the New Living Translation, these words, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. God's plan was that his son, Jesus, would humble himself being born as a human being so that he could fully relate to us in our joys and in our trials, in our moments of triumph, and in our hardship and heartaches. He did it so that Jesus would be able to reveal his truth to us, die on the cross for us, and then rise from the grave so that we might have hope and trust in his power, plan, and promises. And that's what this meal that we celebrate here tonight is all about. That even when our plans seem to fall apart and collapse and not make sense, we can trust that his plan will never fail. And so when God can change or allow our plans to be changed and altered, we know ultimately that his plan is bigger and greater than anything we can ever think of. And the cool thing about it is Jesus came so that we could be a part of that. When it says he died on the cross, he didn't do it willy-nilly. He did it because he wanted us to have that intimate love relationship with his Father, God the Father. And when he died on that cross, he died for my sins, and your sins so that they could be washed away clean and when we make him our lord and leader and surrender our lives to him 
asking for his forgiveness, and then repenting and living our lives for him, we're promised to live out that grand, eternal plan with him in glory. That's what him coming at Christmas means. Him coming to live, to die, and then to live again for us and to allow us to live through him. So do we know him tonight? We're getting ready to share communion with one another, the Lord's Supper. And it's a meal that Jesus gave to us to remember his love and his sacrifice, to remember the great plan of which all of us who follow him are a part of. It's bigger than opening gifts. It's bigger than any stress that we're dealing with right now. It's bigger than whatever heavy thing we're bearing, even if it's the world. In just a moment, we're going to invite all those who are believers and followers of Christ to join us in this meal. But before we do, I want us to pray. And if you're not certain that you have made that decision in your life, I'm just going to invite you to pray along with me. If you are already know him, just kind of renew your heart at this time. But let's bow our heads for a moment. And just silently, or you can whisper it where you are, pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. I confess that I have sinned, that I have said, thought, and done things that were not right, and that I have failed to think and do and have the right attitudes that I should have. I ask for your forgiveness, and I pray that you as my Savior will come into my heart through your Holy Spirit. I pray that he will guide and direct me and make me more and more like Jesus each and every day as I seek to give up my sin and follow you as my Lord and leader. I thank you for this gift, this indescribable gift, as Paul said. And I look forward to dining with you here tonight as your Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ is fully present here in this place. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few moments, the consistory members are going to make their way up to the front for communion. Again, I want to remind everyone, uh, if you are a follower, we would love for you to participate, whether you're a member of Shiloh or not, to remember that the, uh, the cups that are toward the center of the tray are grape juice, those on the outside are wine. Let's prepare to dine with our Savior. This bread represents Christ's body that was broken for me and for you. Take and eat.
cup represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Take and drink. Let us pray. Lord God, as we consider the humility that it took for Jesus to come, as a humble baby placed in a food trough for animals, to live a difficult life, to share in some joys, but also to experience some unique hardships along the way, and to even humble himself to the point that he died a excruciating, humiliating death on the cross without ever thinking of trying to assert his own selfish plan, but instead thought of you and your desires, and he thought of us and the forgiveness and the hope that we so desperately needed. And he died on the cross. We thank you for the hope that we have in him. We thank you that when we face our own difficulties and hardships, we can look to his example and see that not only can you fully relate to us in those struggles, but also we can look to his resurrection and see that there is a greater plan filled with hope for all of eternity of new life. And so, Lord God, we pray that we will leave this place tonight filled with that hope, encouraged and spiritually nourished by this meal, so that we can not only allow our lives to be blessed, but for those blessings to overflow to those around us. Help us to always keep in mind His service and His sacrifice. So that when your Holy Spirit prompts and leads us to do the same, that we will follow him and take up our own crosses and honor you. We ask this as we give thanks to you in Jesus' name.